Good morning and welcome to another episode of Real World Talks with Lourdes, Kathy, and Natalie. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Today we have a special guest with us by the name of Nerva Bosico, who is the founder of Silk Roads. Good morning, Nerva. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, can you please share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I am a small town girl from Ridgecrest, California. Um, I was originally born in Miami. Um, so it's, it's kind of come full circle for me. I was born in Miami. Um, unfortunately, at the age of four, I became an orphan, my brother and I, and we um, ended up going to, we, we were split up, went into foster care. Um, my aunt, uh, uh, fortunately had the opportunity to, um, t- uh, take legal guardianship over us. And so we moved, uh, to California. Um, so I say I'm from California because that's all I've ever known, even though I, my story started here in Miami. Um, that's a part of, that's a huge, huge part of my foundation. And so I'm forever grateful for that, uh, for that journey. Um, I came back to Miami for college. I went to Florida Memorial University, uh, the only HBCU in Miami, and then I went on to do my master's um, at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, which is in Daytona Beach. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and um, held you know, various uh, you know, corporate jobs and supply chain and also currently the uh, chapter lead for Black Women Talk Tech here in Miami. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing um, that with us, Nerva. So um, can you talk a little bit about um, Silk Roads and how the idea of a business based on supply chains um, came about? Yeah, sure. So in my, um, in my past roles, I've had the opportunity to work with some pretty big companies here locally um, and also global and just helping them figure out their supply chain. And when I say that, I mean, supply chain is very broad, but more, specific, more specifically, um, purchasing Um, sourcing, um, supplier management, inventory management, things of that nature. Um, And doing my, you know, just going through the role, I noticed that um, it was really hard to um, just really have a seat at the table for, um, I'm I'm Haitian, I'm first gen also. And, you know, I've had... (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, So I've had the opportunity to be in rooms that, you know, society says that normally I shouldn't be in. And so it was really getting, it was getting hard to sit at the table and still like prove my worth, even though I had, you know, all a really great education, if I say so myself, um, and just trying to uh, keep up with that. And then also in meeting small business owners along my journey, that needed the help that um, I give, you know, these big corporations. And so I put it, you know, I started thinking through it and I'm like, you know what, uh, there are small business owners out there that need this help. Um, why not just go into business for myself and, you know, not have to fight so hard to sit at the table, create my own table and help people that really need the help. Right. So that is where the idea came about just um, going through everyday life. And again, um, taking the opportunities that I've been, um, given to um, help others come to the space as well. So that's the beginning of my journey and how the idea of the business came about. Thank you for explaining that, Nira. Now, for some who may not understand supply chain and like kind of why is it so important, can you go a little bit further into that? Yes, I love this question. <laughs> 
time do we have? Because um, I'm passionate about this topic and the work that I do. So um, a common question I get up from a lot of people is, you know, what is supply chain? Um, you know, why does it matter? Um, and so supply chain is, is happening all around us each and every single day, not just in business. Um, as personal, you know, consumers ourselves, that we we actually are part of a supply chain. And so if you think about where your clothes are made, where your food comes from, where your favorite iPhone, you know, where is it put together? Um, those are all due to efficient supply chains, right? So let's talk, if we want to break it down, if you look at, let's say, a shirt, an American Eagle shirt that you bought from your local mall, let's take, for example, American Eagle, who imports about 30% of their goods from Asia, um, it was likely made in Vietnam, shipped through Singapore in a big container and then trucked to your local mall, right? And then next, if you think about just your, the again, it goes back to everyday consumption. Um, if you look at your zippers, on the zippers, nine times out of 10, you're going to see a symbol that says, um, or that says YKK on them. And if you look, that's because it was manufactured um, by a big company named YKK and headquartered, uh, headquartered in Japan. So again, there's supply chain existing all around us. I mean, if we think about the paper, sh- the toilet paper shortage, right? Um, at the beginning of a few months ago, um, that's something that, you know, that was because of a supply chain. Now, granted, that was because of disruption in the supply, not necessarily the supply chain being messed up, which is a really big um, sudden shift in demand. Um, because normally so, um, toilet papers are like, they produce 83 million rolls of toilet paper per day. So we just had a big push in demand and that's why we had a shortage, right? Not necessarily because, you know, supply chain was messed up, but um, just supply chain is happening all around us. So it's the process of getting basically the product from point A to point B. And so my goal as a supply chain manager is to make sure that the product that you you want and need gets into your hand. And so that's why it's so important because everything you own is because of a, is because of a company's supply chain. And without it, we would have nothing. So in essence, we, we really are the business. Oh, that's awesome. I can tell you're very passionate about supply chain. So you said you basically um, make sure your client gets the product that they need in their hand. What other services does your company offer and what are the most common mistakes your clients make? So the the services that we offer um, are sourcing, procurement, um, supplier management, inventory management. Um, When you look at just like the shipping strategy, so logistics as a whole and just overall process improvement, right? We come in and we just figure out, you know, what is it that you're doing today and how can we make it um, even better? And so when I say sourcing and just to kind of give a breakdown, that's helping you find like the item, right? You have this idea, but how do you actually um, get it from point A to point B, right? You know, finding the manufacturers or a distributor, whatever the case may be, just how do we make this thing a real, you know, tangible, right? And so, and then we go to procurement, purchasing. How do you actually purchase it? Um, you know, that's something that we look into as well, helping you have conversations with your supplier, a lot of people, especially during now, um, that's something that we definitely need to be, you know, need to have is supplier management, you know, asking for concessions and not being afraid to say, hey, you know, you missed delivery on this, you know, we're going to need, you know, XYZ back in return. Um, And then just managing inventory, you know, well, because inventory is, you know, cash, right? So cash is king in business. So looking at, you know, just different ways to make sure that we're managing correctly. And then last, definitely, um, certainly not least, is um, shipping. Um, Shipping strategies where we help um, our clients just look at better ways to, you know, 
uh, ship their products, um, you know, consumer packaged goods, things of that nature. So we do a little bit of a little bit of everything, right? Um, That's our primary focus. And again, it's all about process improvement, how we make it more efficient. Um, How do we buy the right things from the right people at the right time without compromising quality, right? Um, And get it to our end user because at the um, the end of it all, the consumer is, um, you know, we have to have a relentless focus on that. So that is what um, our company does. And some of the mistakes, to answer your question, that um, I see my clients make, the number one mistake is thinking that they don't have a supply chain, right? And um, we, I've had several conversations with business owners and, you know, like, well, I don't have a supply chain, but, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need the service. But we all have a supply chain, whether you um, acknowledge it or not, again, we are operating in one, right? Because your business, the minute you get into business or just everyday life, you need something How? Where did it come from? Where did your phone come from? Where did your, you know, where did our favorite, our favorite restaurant, how do they order all those things? So thinking that you don't have a supply chain is a big mistake because you do. So that's one mistake um, that we, you know, work through very early on in the process. And then the second mistake I would say would be, hey, you know, I don't like this stuff. This is the boring part of the business. Um, And people underestimate um, what it means to properly structure their supply chains, right? First, if you don't acknowledge it, that's big mistake. Number one, two, not properly structuring it is a second mistake. So we come in and we um, have those tough conversations and then we do the work. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. how does your company and um, the supply chain industry correlate with hospitality for those who don't know? Sure. So this, we've, um, and we've had some, several partnerships with FIU, um, the, um, you know, just the food portion of it, working with um, small, uh, small food and beverage operators. So we, the hospitality, the hospitality industry in a, um, is a broad category, right? But more specifically, we focus on food and beverage. So helping um, restaurant operators with um, sourcing and procurement, that's really been the main focus and just, you know, how do we source locally? There's been a big shift if you can't go from far away. And then, you know, how do we purchase things again? How do we buy things at the right time from the right people and not compromise on quality? Um, those are the main focus that we have within um, hospitality. And I love to eat. So this is like the dream job for me <laughs> because I love eating. So I get to meet so many interesting people, um, you know, who are passionate about food and just need help with um, just managing, again, their supply chain and how do they do it efficiently. Perfect. So this is actually um, a question that I formulated and I was interested in knowing. So how did you come up with the name Silk Roads? I love this question. <laughs> no one's asked. You're the first. So I appreciate you. Um, and so, yeah, Silk Roads, if, um, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with history, but um, the first global supply chain unofficially is the Silk Road. And um, the Silk Road started around 200 BC and extended 4,000 miles. Um, it got its name from the lucrative um, Chinese silk trade and tea trade that was going on. And, um, and that basically was, they were exchanging like spices, nuts, jewels, um, you know, between Europe and the Middle East. And in addition to that, there was a lot of um, 
just science and technology innovations that were going along this route, right? Um, religious ideas. Um, it's really, the Silk Road was a significant factor in development of the great modern civilization we know today. So again, it's, it wasn't actually like a Silk Road just for, to be, um, to put things into perspective, but um, very few people actually, you know, went on the Silk Road, but there was key folks that, um, that were, I should say, agents or merchants who brought and sold goods along the way. So I um, paid homage to that and named my company that because that's really what it's all about, right? Supply chain is about just making sure that it's, at first it's about people. We're connecting with different people. We're exchanging, you know, uh, goods and services and things of that nature. So um, I paid homage to that movement because that's really what's still going on today, right? And so the Silk Roads actually ended um, years ago, but it's still relevant and it, it still plays a huge factor in influencing the buying and selling habits of our people. So that's why um, I named the business Silk Roads um, because we're all on a journey and trying to figure out how do we get the things that we want and how do we do it again? How do we do that efficiently um, and throughout the whole process, right? So, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful name and thank you for sharing the history. Um, after listening to this interview or even podcast episode, many of our students, alumni, or audience might want to get into this business. What advice would you give to them? Um, the great question as well. Um, so the advice that I would give to them, I'm going to touch on a lot of um, the soft skills, right? I think there's a, there's a, there's a big focus. We should focus on those skills. And so, well, the very first thing I would say is once you're in the room, you have to understand that you now deserve to be there. It's time to get busy. Stop looking around, questioning your worth. Just do the work, right? I think that's the biggest thing is just mindset, you know, um, making sure that, you know, once you get into these rooms, you know, that imposter syndrome starts to kick in and tell you that you're not worthy enough to be in the room that you're in. And I think that that's not so, right? So once you're in the room, you deserve to be there do work, right? That's what it's all about. So um, that's first and foremost, because your mindset is what you're going to need to last um, in this marathon. And then second would be, you know, competition is thick, right? But the people who get ahead are the people who are not afraid to speak up. So you got to be, you know, unapologetic about how you show up in these rooms. Um, and then definitely the third point that I would make is, um, Waiting is not a wealth strategy, right? So you have permission to dream, to be confident and to just, um, but also understanding you need to be disciplined throughout this whole process, right? And so those are the things that I would say, and I, I'm, I'm focused on the mindset because that is what you need um, to run this race, right? And it's, if you're going to have longevity in the business, you have to address your mindset. And that's really, when we get into, get these opportunities, that's the one thing that could, you know, really be the determining factor, so, um, yeah, be authentic. But again, once you're in the room, do work. Stop questioning if you should be in the room. You deserve to be there. Take up space and don't be unapologetic about it. And waiting is not a wealth strategy. So just do what you have to do. So that's that's my biggest advice to students and alumni looking to um, get into business. Thank you, Nara, so much for providing, you know, those great tips. I was listening to you, um, you know, and you were speaking about them and I was saying it's Great, not only for students or alum who are hearing this podcast and say, man, I never thought about supply chain, but I feel like the advice that you're giving is great for just, you know, students and alum and individuals when they are going into a networking event or, you know, just being hungry and, and selling yourself and, you know, being confident. So I'm so glad that you share that, um, those great tips. 
Now, talking about businesses, um, and especially now, you know, with what's going on um, these past couple of months, besides the pandemic, you know, with the injustice and um, what we're seeing on the news, and also with you seeing a lot of companies that are now moving and wanting to support and promote minority businesses, specifically Black businesses, you know, what are your thoughts now, specifically on this movement now on, you know, the supporting of minority businesses um, and also the owners? Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's layers to this question, right? Um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I say all that joking, you know, put aside, um, in this moment, we're talking about, you know, we're talking and COVID-19 is amongst us, um, which is not a discriminator, right? It does not matter whether you're rich or poor, where you're from, it attacks everyone equally. And so, um, but yet we've seen the impact um, felt most keenly in minority communities, right? Specifically Black people, you know, were dying in large numbers. Um, and so in this moment, um, I'm reminded of two things that um, in the midst of COVID-19, we are weathering the same storm, but we are not on the same boat, right? Um, and a global, uh, the second point would be a global crisis does not um, erase inequality, it exacerbates it. So I think that's really, we have to just sort of, we have to sit with that first and foremost. And like I said, the, like how much time do we have? Because there's so many layers to this question. And, and I appreciate um, I appreciate you guys asking it and have, wanting to have the conversation. That That's, that's amazing. And so people... Um, Overall, I would just say that I would be remiss too if I didn't recognize the the trauma that is being visited on the Black communities right now. We've had to process Ahmaud Aubrey, Sean Reed, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, and those are just some of the those are the names that we know about, right? There's names that didn't even make it to the news. So um, in processing that, there's there's always this experience of trauma that people of color or people of marginalized identities are enduring. So when you add this on top of just what's already happening, right, that there's this crisis, um, there's almost like this crisis within a crisis so that people are facing. So it is our job to make sure that we're engaging in the kind of solidarity practices that will allow us to be good to one another. Um, so one of the things that I've done in co collaboration with um, many other Black-owned brands is start a website um, these past few months called co-op.black, um, which is a source of curated products from Black-owned businesses. Um, and we share a percentage of our profit with our community members. So that's um, something that we're focused on to just help support the minority businesses and just understanding that even while we're at home, we are still all in community and we all have something to give to one another. And so if we're going to get through this, we really have to, we're only going to do that with um, supporting each other, right? And that's super, super important. Um, it's our responsibility to sound these alarms on these issues and really stand in the gap, right? Um, and again, we're not, we're, in, we're weathering the same storm, but we are not all in the same boat. And so that's why we even have a question like this. Um, and the more conscious we become of our reality, right, to hold on to that truth and really speak to it, then we can start addressing the problems and, you know, providing, you know, solutions that really help, Right. Um, the virus is contagious, but so is love, so is kindness, so is thoughtfulness, so is selfless, selflessness, um, so is solidarity. So these are the kind of practices that we should always be practicing to make sure that, um, that you know, we, we support one another. So, um, 
just, and again, I want us to focus on one thing too. When I say spreading love is spreading love, meaning that we become aware of our buying power, you know, seeking minority business to support them, right? Um, we have to do the work. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. We have to sit in that and understanding black owned does not mean cheaper or discount. We need to unlearn that. So that is what um, I believe that we, those are the main things. Again, there's so many layers to this, but that's how we support our minority business, um, you know, brothers and sisters out there that need the help because we're all in this together. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred million percent. And um, I thank you for, for sharing. Um, so can you share five tips for women looking to become entrepreneurs, especially um, around this time with COVID happening? What, what advice would you give them? Um, that's so there, I have more than five, but I'll give you guys five. <laughs> um, the first one would be, um, even though COVID is going on, there's actually a lot of opportunities that um, are around us. Um, so taking advantage of those is key. The, the very first thing I would say is something that I've had to learn myself throughout the journey is don't be afraid to hear no, right? No, is just the start of the conversation. I love negotiating. If you, um, if you ever sit down with me, you, you, you'll know this. Um, I love to negotiate, right? No, when I hear no, I hear keep going. I don't hear let's, you know, give up or throw in the towel. Like, so don't be afraid to hear no. No, is just the start of the conversation, like, let's really dig and find out what, what's here. So um, first, that's first and foremost. Um, second, especially given the current times, I would say embrace technology. I think that was one thing that I found with a lot of clients that they were afraid of the technology that's, you know, that we're currently experiencing and that's even coming, but embrace it. I mean, you know, you either adapt or die. So that's the second advice. Um Keep going. I know these are, you know, some of these are cliche, but it, it's really, again, it comes down to mindset. That is the biggest barrier to um, being an entrepreneur. So keep going and finding your village to understand and understanding that when I say find your village, there's seasons of, you know, people that will come and go. Um, but you have to just, you know, keep keep running the race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So how do you keep doing that? Just, again, focusing on finding the right folks to network with and being very intentional about what it is that you're creating um, do not be afraid to occupy all space, right? And don't unapologetic again. Want to, to get into acts like you know, acts, asking for help. I think that's another thing too for women that we have an issue with is how do we? Because um, you know we're we're trained, you know, strong woman doesn't ask for help, right? That's a that's a taboo that we have to get past. And you know, it's okay to say I need help and um, I need help. What does that look like? So, and then understanding last is certainly, but not least, but success um, can be much harder to understand than failure. So once you, once you make it to this point that, you know, that you envision, that's still going to be hard too, right? There's a lot of moving pieces um, once you make the certain points of your, uh, of your journey. So being okay with that and listening and taking suggestions to, um, to continue on. Thank you for those tips um, for women who are starting to your thinking even of, you know, having their own business or starting their own business. So in the continuation of that topic, um, and since you've been having your company for quite some time, you know, from your experience and also from you looking at it at this particular point in time, how has the climate of entrepreneurship changed since you started? And what do you foresee for the future for entrepreneurs or the entrepreneurship, I should say? So a lot has changed um, back then when I first um, had this idea to go into business for myself. And, you know, we definitely, it wasn't, 
well, first I, I'm, I'm Haitian. So my mom didn't understand because the idea in, you know, in our, in our culture is, you know, you become a lawyer, doctor, um, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what success looks like. And, you know, you work, you work for someone, you, you don't have the audacity to like, you're going to go and do what? You start a business for yourself. What are you doing? So just the ability to even dare to dream and say, hey, I'm going to do this. That's um, that has changed a lot. Right. We we ha- we've given um, folks a lot of permission to just explore and be OK with saying that out loud and actually doing it. Um, so I think that's been the biggest change. And uh, now that we're all, you know, I've been remote for quite some time. And um, before this, you know, now this is the new normal, right? We're all working from home, but this was something that I was doing before and folks just did not understand, you know, what do you mean you're working from home? What does that look like? So, I mean, a lot of shifts um, have occurred um, since I started uh, the business um, and, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, As far as the future for entrepreneurship, I think um, we have to start thinking about through business models, right? So a favorite um, aspirations for entrepreneurs today um, by our own broken record, right, is uh, we say disruption, right? We want to create disruption. Disruption is what we keep hearing. Um, the the sign of a uh, promise to enterprise that is that it disrupts some sort. And when I say disruption, I should say it's some sort of sign that promises to disrupt some sort of industry, cultural habit, or, you know, have some, you know, huge efficiency in it. So that's what folks, you, you know, tend to focus on. But in this season, um, we we need to you know think a little bit outside the box in the sense and saying um, we have to notice what the world really means. I think that COVID has really forced us to do that. You know we've taken that you know for granted. So when we say disruption, maybe possibly looking at uh, changing business models. So like um, our business co-op black, you know pushing a cooperative model versus you know bringing back a little bit of the old school. So just thinking about things differently and not necessarily always um, you know trying to be like the unicorns of the world, but just looking at looking at it through a different set of lens. I think that's what's the, the future is going to uh, recommend, um, or not recommend, but require of us as we uh, as we witness these small movements, um, you know, grow into you know really big ones. Yes, yes. So being a businesswoman, and a lot of students struggle with you know with work and home life and even school life. So how do you manage home life and work balance? Yeah, <laughs> this question was, I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still um, managing? <laughs> still managing. Um, it's, and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm still managing from being completely transparent, but I'm very big about having systems and boundaries. I think that's something that I've learned throughout the process is, you know, having a system, which has been, um, that's been the easy part for me. Having boundaries is the part that, you know, I'm working on and just making sure like, you know, okay, I can't do everything. Um, you know what I mean? Just understanding what that means. And I think that's something that's a constant, I don't want to say struggle, but just a constant learning, right? A learning practice um, for me. So systems and boundaries will be the main things that I focus on to um, manage my my home life and, um, you know, the work balance. Awesome. And um, being that, you know, COVID has happened, um, a lot of us now have, you know, dived into having some new activities like working out or, you know, just taking a walk around the park. So, to end our conversation, um, tell our listeners what activities um, you like to do for fun, or maybe even some new activities um, that have come to fruition now with COVID. 
Um, I'm so pre-COVID. Um, I, overall, honestly, I, I love, so I'm very big uh, fitness junkie. I love working out. Um, I believe that's a, it's really, I know we hear health is wealth, but it's a lifestyle for me. And, um, and uh, my mom, unfortunately, was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it's definitely been more so of a lifestyle focus for me as well and seeing the journey that she went through with that. But um, the activities I do for fun, boxing, I love boxing. Um, and traveling, I just, I love, granted, we can't do that now, right? <laughs> but um, boxing and traveling have been like, you know, boxing is very therapeutic for me. And then just traveling and getting to see the world and experiencing it through um, a different set of lens. I think I love that. Um, right now, doing a lot more reading and just spending time with myself to, you know, yeah, that's that's been the, those are the things that I love to do: boxing, traveling, reading, and just um, having conversations. More time to spend with my family and my friends. Um, those have been the the activities that I've been been doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to um, speak with us and share a little bit about Silk Roads and more importantly about yourself. Thank you so much, Nerva. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate you all. Thank you. So this concludes another episode of our Real World Talks podcast. And for all of our listeners, we will see you next week. Have an amazing day. Bye. Bye. Stay safe.